I have a friend who was in 4-H in fifth grade. He was in 4-H in elementary school. And my friend was asked to pray for the annual 4-H banquet. Now, this was a big deal. There would be lots and lots of people at this banquet, and they needed a really good prayer. And they knew that he was a good, good church kid from a good church family, so they figured he would give a good church prayer. So here's the catch. 400 people go to this banquet. Can you imagine as a fifth grader being asked to pray in front of 400 people? He was so intimidated merely about the idea of praying in front of 400 people. That true story, he asked them if instead he could do a 15-minute comedy routine about a phone call from God. 15-minute comedy routine about a phone call from God instead of praying for 30 seconds. So he proposed that to them, and here's the crazy thing. They actually said, okay. (laughs) And he gave a 15-minute comedy routine about a phone call uh, from God that actually became pretty much the entertainment for the whole evening. He was the prelude uh, to the banquet. And maybe you've heard this. Uh, This is uh, an old 40 years ago uh, recording, but this is the first couple minutes of this phone call from God. Listen up. Hon, the phones are ringing. Would you get it for me, please? I'm trying to watch old Johnny. He just come on. What? For the young kids. Get it myself. Confounded every time something like this comes up, it's always me, always me. I've got to be the one that answers the phone. Hello? Hello? Long distance? Yeah, this is me. Who's this? What? What do you mean, am I a Christian? I don't know. Who's a calling? Did you say heaven? What? <laughs> Well, uh, uh, but, but, uh, uh, hello, Lord. Uh, 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 but, uh, sir, I've, I've been a Christian a long time. Yes, sir, I sure have. I, and, and, and after all, and, 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 sir, you, you hadn't heard from me in quite a while, so you just thought you'd better go ahead and call, huh? Well, well, Lord, I'll I tell you, it was just last, just last night, this same time last night, I was planning on talking to you. Yeah, sure. What I I, I was laying there watching that there old uh, old television, old Johnny Carson. You know, he was on the TV. I said to my wife, I said, "Hon, you know, as soon as old Johnny gets off the television, we are to get on our knees and talk with the Lord." That, that's what we said. And and I wish to goodness we'd have gone ahead and done it, but we didn't. And, and, but I tell you, Lord, what I'm going to do, I'm going to start doing better. I sure am. I'm going to say my prayers tonight, whether I need to or not. Yes, sir. Sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I go to church. Yes, sir. Every Sunday. I'm a faithful church member. Yes, sir. Sir. Did I go last Sunday? Yes, sir. I went last Sunday. I sure did. I went for morning preaching. I sh- wonderful service. <laughs> sir. What did what, what the preacher preach on? Well, uh, you, you know how the preacher is, don't you? Uh, he preached on the platform. Uh, That goes on for about 15 minutes. Here's the crazy part of this. My friend memorized and would rather give a 15-minute comedy routine so that he wouldn't have to give a 30-second prayer. Have you ever felt intimidated about prayer? I know a lot of people engage with this issue in different kinds of ways and have different kinds of emotions and feelings uh, about a topic like prayer. 
Maybe you felt intimidated because you didn't know what to talk about. Maybe you have felt nervous uh, because, because you felt like maybe others would judge your sort of spiritual maturity. Maybe it felt like a fancy, a formal thing, a sort of like fine china that you only break out for special occasions. Uh, maybe, maybe it seems like the kind of thing for which you need uh, proper grammar. I should be saying this with a British accent. Proper grammar, advanced degrees, a prodigious vocabulary, mellifluous tones. Not mellifluous tones. Okay. Maybe you've wondered... Maybe you've wondered if your prayers are even working. Is this doing any good? I'm talking, but I'm not hearing a whole lot. Is he even hearing me? Does he care? I think what's common in these questions and these feelings is this. Prayer is a moment. Prayer is a moment of vulnerability. Because it's a moment of our inner life coming out. And prayer is a moment of vulnerability because it's a moment of our inner life coming out. The truth is, probably a lot of us would rather do a, a comedy routine in front of 400 people rather than open up our hearts. If there's one thing Jesus taught about prayer and about how to pray, it's that you cannot pretend in your prayer. That's why we know it's a moment of vulnerability. You can't pretend in your prayer and a memorized routine, while that can be helpful, it doesn't cut it in the long term. Because it's a moment that is about real talk with a real God who wants a real relationship with us. And we'll see in this parable that it can be faked. But real prayer is a conversation with the God who made and saves us that is meant to reshape our hearts and minds, in fact, our whole lives. It's a conversation with God that's meant to reshape our lives around the God who made and saves us. It's a chance for us to line up our hearts with God's heart. Now, the good news is that we are not alone in feeling uneasy about prayer. Many of his first followers felt uneasy about it. They had lots of questions about it. And how Jesus responded to their questions reveals uh, some of our foundational ideas about prayer may not always be accurate. Some of them may be misguided. And, and here's something we learned today. At a heart level, at a heart level, it matters where you start from in your prayer. At a heart level, it matters where you start from in your prayers. And today we look into a story that Jesus told, where he contrasts two men and how they prayed, and it shows about their relationship with God and their different outlooks on life. Look with me at Luke 18, 9 to 14 here. Jesus teaches this important lesson that gives us foundational guiding principle for prayer today, a foundational guiding principle that we'll get to later. Jump in at verse 9 here. It says this, we're going to spend some time on just this first phrase, he also told this parable. He also told this parable. Two things before we move on. Number one, this parable starting in verse 9 is the second of two in this chapter. 1 through 8 is the first one, 9 through 14 is the second one. And this first one in 1 through 8 is about faithful persistence in prayer. 
And Jesus directed that parable to his disciples because the Pharisees in Luke 17, 20 had just asked Jesus about, about the coming of the kingdom, about when and about where the kingdom of God would come. And basically, uh, Jesus changes the terms of that entire discussion, that whole question about when and where Jesus would come. And he basically says, listen, stop, stop worrying about when and where the kingdom comes and start praying for the faith to see the kingdom whenever and wherever it comes. Big difference there. Stop worrying about when and where the kingdom is going to come and start praying for the faith to, to be aware of it when you see it come. And then he also says, oh, 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 by the way, the kingdom is standing like here. So start praying for faith today. Now this context helps set the tone for this second parable. This context helps set the tone for this second parable, which is this. Prayer is about humbly seeking the kingdom of God. That's kind of the two, two weeks that we're going to talk about today. We'll focus on the humility part, a little bit about kingdom of God, but more about kingdom of God next week. And today is going to be more about the purpose of prayer. Next week is going to be a little bit more about the practice of prayer, but that's the whole two weeks in a succinct statement there. Prayer is about humbly seeking after the kingdom of God. That's the whole series in a sentence. Now, second thing to note here before we move on, talks about a parable. A parable. A parable is one of the most common ways that uh, Jesus uses to teach in the New Testament. Over one-third of Jesus' words to us in the New Testament comes in the form of a parable. So a parable is, for the note-takers, this is a good definition here, it's a short story it's a short story, sometimes true, usually made up, that compares the experience of the audience with the truth about God and his kingdom. It's a short story, sometimes true, usually made up, that compares the experience of the audience, everyday uh, experience of the audience, with the truth about God and his kingdom. The word parable literally means to put things side by side. It's a putting together, it's a putting side by side of something for comparison or contrast. In this case, the experience of the audience and something about God and his kingdom. So putting numbers one and two, the larger context, number one that we just talked about, and number two, this thing about the parable here, what we're learning in this parable here today is that prayer is like putting glasses. This is sort of what prayer is like for us. Prayer is like putting glasses on our hearts that help us see the kingdom of God. Prayer is like putting glasses on our hearts that help us see the kingdom of God. Let's jump back in and start moving a little faster here throughout the passage. 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now, this is Luke's statement at the beginning here, telling us some of uh, Jesus' purpose in talking about this. There are a couple things to note here. Number one, this is one of those rare times when the parable actually happened. So Jesus is using this parable story form to dramatically confront those, like Luke says here, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So number one, this parable was an actual occurrence. Number two, this second parable here that we're looking at in 9 through 14 is also like the first parable being told on the heels of that question from the Pharisees about the coming of the kingdom, which means that in the context of this parable, number one, it actually happened. Number two, the parables, the Pharisees, excuse me, are in the audience. This is important context. The Pharisees are in the audience listening to Jesus tell this parable. It's hard to overstate the significance of this. And you'll see why as we keep going through here. So keep reading there, verse 10. 
two men went up into the temple, up because the temple was on a mountain. And so from any direction you came, it was up. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. He's setting a scene. He's giving us the characters. And we've got two main characters here that are the top and the bottom of the totem pole of social standing in that community. Pharisees were the respected uh, Jewish rabbis. They were the, the teachers of the law. And they were known and actually respected for going above and beyond sort of what the law required in all possible ways. Much of that going beyond the law was done in public for display. And then the tax collectors were sort of considered the lowest on the totem pole in terms of how common understanding of them because they made their money by overcharging what was an already absurdly high tax rate. And so they made their money on the excess of what they overcharged. So at this point in the story, this is important to note, at this point in the story, those who are listening to Jesus here tell this parable are thinking, ah, got it. Two characters, Pharisee good guy, tax collector bad guy. That's what they're thinking at this point. They don't have that little part at the beginning where Luke says, Jesus tells this parable for this reason. So imagine what the the first hearers of this parable are experiencing here. (laughs) Pharisees, good guy. Tax collectors, bad guy. Because the common conception is, this Pharisee, known and respected, he's a righteous man, he's a good man. He got to where he was and where he is because he earned it. Common conception of a tax collector is, this is a scum of the earth. I mean, this is like bad guy. Jesus is setting them up. He's playing on what he knows are the common conceptions of what they considered makes a person godly. Jesus is playing on the common conception of what they believed made a person godly. And we know he's doing that here. He's he's creating the Jesus juke genre here. Keep reading here, verse 11. This is Jesus telling the parable. The Pharisee, standing by himself so he could be heard, he prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. I mean, it's one thing to say that kind of stuff by yourself in general terms, but then he makes it specific. And then he says, or like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Crazy thing. Audience at this point, still thinking, Pharisee, good guy. Tax collector, bad guy. They're still thinking, this Pharisee is a good man. He's a just man. He's a righteous man. He deserves. This is the one who deserves the favor of God. And they're perceiving that Jesus is going to use the opportunity to stick it to the tax collector to say, I told you. And they could all join in. (laughs) Keep reading. But the tax collector, Jesus continues the story, standing far off so that no one could hear him, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Even at this point, the audience is sure that Jesus is going to praise the Pharisee and condemn the tax collector. But listen to Jesus' assessment, beginning in verse 14. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, 
went down to his house justified rather than the other. (laughs) Oh, by the way, Pharisees, I'm talking about you. It's a miracle Jesus wasn't stoned within his three years of public ministry. Jesus, the good shepherd, says hard words sometimes, friends. The shepherd has a crook on the top for a reason. The staff is about correction. Much more than we think. Much more than sometimes we like. He finishes with the principle. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. (laughs) So there's Jesus standing among a crowd of people, some of whom are believers, some of whom are not, some of whom are followers, some of whom are the self-righteous Pharisees. And he ends the story by saying, the tax collector went home justified and not the Pharisee. That moment, friends, was a you-could-hear-a-pin-drop kind of moment. They had to be standing there with their eyes and their mouths wide open because in a moment, in a moment, Jesus had challenged their every assumption about who is good and how they become good. Now, I know it's easy in this story. It's easy in this story to blame and to sort of besmirch the Pharisee, the self-righteous Pharisee. But lest we enjoy too much Jesus' condemnation of them, which is there, there's another reason Jesus told this story. Luke highlights that by pointing that out at the beginning. But there's another reason Jesus tells this story. There's someone else listening to Jesus at that moment that he is trying to reach here. Oh, sure, Luke is telling us at the beginning that Jesus told this in part to challenge the Pharisees, and that's true. But there were other people Jesus is trying to reach here. You see, there were some tax collectors in the audience that day who might have gone away for the first time, knowing that there was hope for them. (laughs) There were those in the audience that day who went away begging God, be merciful on me, a sinner. There were people who went away from that parable that day with a new vocabulary for who is good and how they get there. There were those who went away that day having learned that God loves to justify those who know they need him. Not only was there some shock in the audience that day, but by the time Jesus gets done with the parable, there were also some tears rolling down the faces of some sinners. Friends, God knows We need him. That's why he came in the first place. The question is, do we know we need him? Friends, here's the truth. Only the humble can see the kingdom of God. Only the humble 
can see the kingdom of God. Here's the parable applied to us in four words. Real prayer precludes pride. Real prayer precludes pride. Now, I know that the word preclude is not a word we commonly use. I may be part of the 5 to 10% who uses words like preclude daily um, or mellifluous or prodigious. But I think it's the right word for this. And so we're going to show you the definition of this word on screen here. It means to prevent from happening, to make impossible. And so what we're saying here today is that real prayer makes pride impossible. When you're really praying, it's because you're praying for the things of the kingdom of God. It's because you're praying from a place that is more like God's heart the more you pray. This is about, this is about if there's a, a contrast between the way you're praying and God's heart, prayer is about decreasing that distance so that the distance between your heart and the heart of God becomes more and more like this. So that you are praying from a place like the tax collector prayed. Now, if, if real prayer precludes pride, if it makes pride impossible, then this implies, as Jesus made clear in this parable, that fake prayer is possible. <laughs> when we're praying as if we're the center of the universe and we never get around to praying for things that are on God's heart, we're praying from pride. When all we focus on in our lives is our circumstances in our prayer, if 90% of our prayer life is about the circumstances of our health, our finances, our stresses, don't get me wrong, God wants to hear those things. But God wants you to grow up and be productive and fruitful for the sake of sinners knowing Jesus. So don't twist pride into a self-righteous exercise. That's not how this works. That's not how this works. I'm going to ask you to do something in the next couple of weeks. When you leave these exits today, there will be people handing out little, little prayer reminder cards that we've put together for this series. They're just little mental triggers uh, for us to humbly seek after the kingdom. In our prayer life, it has the two main verses from the series uh, this week and next week that kind of typify uh, this series theme of humbly seeking after the kingdom of God. It says, Jesus, on prayer, and it quotes Luke 18 and Matthew 6. So that when you pray this week, I've just got it in my little wallet here. So when you pray this week, it's just a little mental trigger. So before I pray, I'm going to read Jesus' words to me. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Just keep that handy for you this week um, so that you're mindful of the heart of God in your prayers. I want to end with an important question for us. Can you imagine what God would do if we were a church that did two things. If we were a church that, number one, prayed from brokenness, and then, number two, we regularly came into contact 
with those who know they need the gospel. If we were a church that prayed from brokenness, if we were people who prayed from a place that the tax collector prayed from, and we came into contact with those who know they need the gospel, what would happen is that we would be sharing from a gospel story that precludes pride. Let me say it this way. Listen. You don't share the gospel from self-righteousness. It doesn't work. That's not the gospel. You'll mess it up. You'll pervert it. You don't share the gospel from self-righteousness. You can only share the gospel from a place of brokenness as a broken brother or sister. Because friends, our lives, our lives are an opportunity. If we live knowing our right standing comes from God and is a gift from Him, then our lives are an opportunity to share the gospel in a way that precludes pride. (laughs) And you know how we do that? You know how we get started sharing the gospel from a place that precludes pride? By praying from brokenness. By praying from brokenness. Father in heaven, we ask because we know there's no other hope. We ask that you would continue to break us in ways where we know we need it. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to break us in ways where we don't know we need it. And that you would surround us with brothers and sisters who are in that same place with whom we can share life. Father, forgive us uh, for, for praying from a place that becomes a vocabulary in our lives of, of justifying our existence in ways that set up self-righteousness. Lord, we ask that you would shine light on those secret places in our lives and in our hearts where to ourselves quietly, secretly we hold on to we hold on to pride believing the lie that uh, we have a leg to stand on because we earned it Lord we pray a bold prayer that you would crush that lie. So that you would increase in us a faith and a trust in the amazing work of you coming to make yourself known in Jesus. So that he would live for us the perfect, sinless righteous life that justifies us before you. Give us, Lord, a greater love for that amazing truth. And we ask, Lord, that we would be men and women, that we would be families, marriages, that we would be a church that communicates the gospel from a place 
of brokenness because we're praying from a place of brokenness. Lord, we ask for your continued work in us through your spirit. We confess our sin to you, confident that you have given us a way out, that you cover us with your blood, that as a resurrected Savior, we can live in eternal relationship with you. We love you for that, Lord. We give you praise and glory for that, Lord. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.